Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey Amarillo is sponsored this week by Bivens Point. Now you may not think about senior healthcare at all until it's time to help your parents or your grandparents make those kinds of decisions. When that time comes, turn to Bivens, a long-trusted name for senior healthcare in Amarillo. Bivens Point delivers a personal treatment plan and a caring, dignified experience. And I know that because both of my Amarillo grandparents spent time there. If you'd like to learn more about Bivens Point or to schedule a tour of their facilities, visit BivensPoint.org. That's point with an E. Today's guest is Hillary Marie. Hillary has a compelling story that, that really takes our discussion in several directions. On one hand, she works in Amarillo as an independent bookkeeper, and she spent the last several years building a busy career as a local musician. Now, you may have heard her performing for dinner crowds at places like Crush or Napoli's or Joe Taco, but Hillary arrived in Amarillo with a difficult past. She is a survivor of domestic violence, of sexual assault, and addiction, and we cover all of those things in this episode, so if you need to prepare for that kind of content or avoid it altogether, know that it's part of our conversation. Here's Hillary Marie. Hillary Marie, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Jason, for having me. Well, I, uh, I'm, I'm grateful that you're here. I know we've got a lot of territory to cover in our conversation, but I want to start where I start with every guest, which is to just ask you how you ended up here in the first place. So what brought you to Amarillo? Oh, man, that's like probably one of that's the... That's a big we're question. Gonna, we're going to dive right in there. <laughs> okay. Um, it was a guy. Okay. I was uh, moved to New Orleans. I live, I'm from Borger. Okay, so you grew up here in the Panhandle. Uh, in the Panhandle, then, right? yeah, from Borger. Um, I moved to New Orleans in 2008, and I was there for almost three years. It was fantastic, had a great time. Came back for a guy, and that did not work out. So having grown up in Borger, like, why did you go to New Orleans? What um, took you that direction? My mom got remarried, and her husband got transferred there. I was newly divorced, and I had a daughter, and she was like 18 months old, and we just moved on out there. It was my first ticket out of Borger. Okay. And so I took it. <laughs> so you you grew up in Borger? Yes. Had a child in Borger, mm-hmm. I guess. So it, there wasn't ever a point where you thought, I'm going to leave Borger, go away someplace to go to college or get out of here. I mean, was, were you kind of planted I, there? I, I got out. Um, I always wanted to leave. In fact, my dad got a job transfer to Houston, and he didn't take it. He, he quit the company, and um, I was really disappointed because I just I wanted. You're hoping out. he would take I, you. I away. was. I wanted to get out so bad. I was not happy there. It was not fun. <laughs> how did How did your family end up in Borger? I mean, was it? Oh gosh, like generations back, or was it I mean, something more recent? I think it's maybe like a hundred years old. I think my my grandparents. Came there. Okay. Um, so they're, from, they're from grandparents are from Oklahoma. Ended up in Borger. Okay, so you had some history there then. Mm-hmm. Did you? I, I liked ask, asking this of people who grow up in some of the smaller Panhandle towns. Did you have like a perspective on Amarillo as a kid? Was it the kind of place that you visited from time to oh, time? Oh yeah, my or? mom would bring me over here every you know at least once a once a month. Then we go shopping at the mall. We go see a movie. We go to the Olive Garden. Um, she'd make me sit in that store. I can't remember what it's called. It's over there. 
Steinmart. 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 <laughs> she made me go to Steinmart. Okay. I hated that. <laughs> My grandmother always shopped at Steinmart for yeah. Christmas presents. It was so boring yeah. in there. And it'd be like the last thing we're doing. We'd been, you know, out in Amarillo all day. And I'm just like, are we done yet? <laughs> so tell me about just your career. Having come of age in Borger, and mm-hmm. I, I assume that, that you did some stuff there before you moved to New Orleans and then before you came back here. So like, what what was your job? What were you doing? I had... Two jobs by the time I was 15. Okay. Um, my dad was a business owner. He owned the dry cleaners. I worked there. Um, it was really hot in the summers. Uh, my mom oversaw the nursery at the church, and so I okay. worked in the nursery. Um, by the time I was 17, I went to work at JCPenney. Um, I was there for like a year and a half, and then I got a job at Dillard Shoes making like eight fifty an hour with commission. So I moved to Amarillo. Got an apartment with my friend, and um, that all kind of took a toll. And in about four months, ended up back in Borger. And then I became pregnant, and I started working for a, a company that contracts with the plant for doing like turnarounds. And so I worked there during my pregnancy. And then after that, <laughs> um, I had my baby, I had a bunch of money saved up, and I didn't work for a little while. And then I went um, into being a preschool teacher okay. at the church that I grew up in. And then at some point after that, I moved to New Orleans and worked at a daycare. And then I worked um, at a kitchen cabinet company. All right. And I did their bookkeeping and administrative things. And then I went to another company, a financial management company, um, started doing bookkeeping there. Um, and then after that, I've just been kind of in the bookkeeping accounting okay. field. Um, so at some point you kind of figured out this is a thing that I can do. And, yeah, you know. I can do, I can do a lot of things because I've had to do a lot of things because I've always worked and a I've lot always, of retail experience, no, a, lot a little of bit of retail experience, customer service, I guess e- enough retail experience. <laughs> I don't need any more <laughs> enough to know that that's not what you, <laughs> you want. Yeah. Um, no, I found my way into the accounting and, uh, um, now I have, I'm a contract bookkeeper. Um, so I have individual clients that I okay. work for. I just, you know, kind of take it where I can get it. Before we get, you know, much further into arriving here in Amarillo, tell me about like growing up in Borger. I mean, was it, was it something that you enjoyed? I mean, some kids grow up in a small town and they just want to get out of that small town. Some kids grow up there and they're like, this is what I love. I mean, what was your feeling about living in a community like that? I think it was okay for, you know, maybe like the first 12 years or so. And I think it was my sixth grade year. I had like three best friends and all three of them moved. Okay. And so I was just like, kind of lost Left alone, yeah. for a while. And I had different friends, but they had gone to their elementary schools together and we just, you know, it wasn't bonded. Um, so there were just different friends kind of in and out of my life in my childhood. And um, because of some of my history and poor choices, um, I ended up with, you know, friends that didn't always have my best interest in mind. Okay. And so there was a lot of, you know, catty, but, you know, shady stuff going on too so happens in small towns it happens in big cities right? <laughs> yeah it ha- i mean i've learned a lot i've learned a lot about you know what good friends are and um, who to surround yourself with and boundaries <laughs> having lived in new orleans for some time and then moving to amarillo what are some big differences between those two cities well, a little bit larger cities but i, I assume very different yes 
I loved New Orleans. It was amazing. Another reason I moved back was because it wasn't a place I wanted to raise my daughter. Okay. So she was becoming of school age when when we moved back. And I just felt like Texas schools was, would be a better choice for her. In New Orleans, you often have to pay for private school just to get into a safe school because all of their state schools are kind of dangerous. And so that maybe what you gain in culture or something in New Orleans, you is balanced out yeah. in a bad way by, by some of the, the things yeah. that are not quite as good. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it was, I saw so much live music, Neil Young, Fleetwood Mac, the Eagles, Celine Dion. Um, I saw Dave Matthews band, Taylor Swift, uh, Ozzy Osbourne, Black Crows, Pearl Jam, I haven't performed in Amarillo, none of those no, names. No, and a while. so I did a lot of like going to uh, music festivals mm-hmm. or just concerts, or you know, like I went to the NFL kickoff one year, and there was a live um, Dave Matthews band opened for Taylor Swift. It was the weirdest thing, wow. <laughs> but okay. he ended up playing for like three hours for us, and she just did her few songs and left. Oh. Oh, and Dave Matthews <laughs> band, if I know them, they probably just had two or three songs planned, and that's what it turned into. Right? Like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So I, you mentioned music. I know that that's a big part of, of who you are yes. and, and what's important to you. So tell me a little bit about that journey because, you know, you, you've mentioned working in bookkeeping and mm-hmm. accounting, which is a totally different field from, from music. Right. So, so tell me how that came about and, and sort of where you are with that. Well, I had my first performance when I was three. Mm-hmm. Um, I played for the company Pic- Picnic. I sang, um, I think, I'm Proud to be an American. Okay. Sounds like a good company picnic song, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I sang that, and um, simultaneously there was a raffle drawing, and I won, like, this little Corvette, you know, like the little kid battery-operated right. one. And so I thought that I had won it because I sang. Okay. Makes sense. And so I think maybe that was a driving force behind my performances. I don't know. Um, But I continued to do that, you know, all throughout my life, singing at church. Um, I got into piano lessons when I was five. Mm -hmm. Didn't stick with that but a few years because I didn't like my um, piano teacher telling me what to do or, like, banging on my fingers. And then I did um, (laughs) voice lessons for nine years. I studied, uh, studied under Rosemary Scott, sang in choir. Um, I was um, in band. I was first chair flute. And in the seventh grade, I was in the eighth grade band. I actually saved all of my money from my I raised pigs from my FFA sale mm-hmm. and saved the money from the sale of the pig and bought the flute all on my own when I was like 11. That sounds like a, an <laughs> O. Henry story or something. <laughs> Yeah. Or such a such a Texas panhandle kind of story. <laughs> I was really I still have the flute, so yeah, you know you don't have the pigs anymore though. So. N- no, but music music was a big part of your childhood. I mean, was it sort oh, yeah. of like a natural talent that That's you had? What my parents said, I just kind of came out like that. Did you ever think this is something I want to pursue, like all as a grown up? Entire I mean, life, okay. all of my entire life. Yeah. What kind of kept you from like diving full into that? I think there's a, a lot of factors, being in a small town, not really understanding what your opportunities are. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to go to Juilliard. Um, I just had my heart set on that, and my dad said that um, I can go to Frank Phillips College for two years, and then I can go wherever I want. And didn't re- doesn't really work like that whenever you've got a, a dream like right. what I had. And um, so that kind of just, at some point, that just that really smushed my drive 
I think, because just, you know, knowing that I've got to go to school every day and I don't have anything to work for, you know, like just work, get a job, be normal or whatever. And it just, it wasn't something that set my heart on fire. And I think that's part of when I lost my way a little bit. Okay. So, but looking back, Juilliard might have not been the best option for who I am. And I think, um, you know, I've met some other people who have got their music degrees and it's a very kind of like a boxed in formula that they use to teach you music. And um, what I'm into in my life is wanting to create my own, pay right. my own path. And so I've got that freedom. And I think that's something that's really important. Well, you didn't like your piano teacher right. telling you how to play <laughs> piano. So yeah. an instructor at Juilliard might be even worse. It, I mean, it, things happen for a reason, right? <laughs> Tell me about like rediscovering, I guess, that that passion for music and, and really pushing yourself into it more as an adult. Well, when I lived in New Orleans, I, I kind of lost my way in the end of high school for a few years. And then when I, when I went back to New Orleans, I became newly inspired and I actually turned, tried out for American Idol twice. We okay. flew to Florida once for it, and then they had the other one in New Orleans. Um, and when was this? Was this like... 2009 and 10. Okay, so kind of in the American Idol... Yeah. Heyday? Uh, maybe not heyday, I guess a little I, bit I later it, in it. It, it, was, it was, you know, beginning to fizzle out a little bit. You know, there's just it's a TV show, so um, they want you there at like 5.30 in the morning just so they can film you on TV at 5.30 in the morning. Right. And so the second time I went, I knew not to do that. I just showed up, you know, when I thought I would have to go on. I didn't I didn't want to, all, you know, do all the hype or anything. Right. But the first time I went up to audition, the judges literally just walked off. Like in the middle of it? No, just like before the audition, they just like walked off. Like okay. they just took a break. And so we were just like standing there. They didn't say anything. And then hmm. they come up and we do, we, and uh, they have four of us line up together and we audition one after another. And it's just like, it's like a cattle call sort of basically, thing. Basically, yeah. I mean, there was, you know, um, the, most of the people who were getting through were the ones that dressed up crazy or, mm. you know, uh, for that segment of the show that they have. Um, there was one person that I knew that went and did a second audition, but that's as far as it went. It's just, there's so many people that try right. out and you've really got to have something either really crazy or really, really special. Okay. Was it a, maybe not a good experience, but was it an experience that impacted you? Yes. In a, um, in it a way? showed me that whenever I do go after music as a career, that I'm not trying to go Hollywood. Okay. And I, I may have tried to pursue that, you know, had I not known. What does your music career look like now? You know, living in Amarillo. It's ever changing. Okay. Um, I've had 135 gigs this year in that's Amarillo. A, that's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. That's that's not just a you know once a weekend kind of thing. It's no, it's, all the it's time. much more than I expected, but. I was in a situation where it was before I started my bookkeeping clients back. I was in a situation where I needed to provide for myself. Okay. So I was doing a lot of hard hitting, you know, just pursuing every lead that I could get because I needed to, you know, provide for me. And so probably not always then flashy venues, you know, maybe music while people are eating or, you know, providing some background music. You're not always up on a stage. Yeah. Right. No. Oh yeah. Much, much of that. And really 
a lot of the times you're just getting paid to practice mm-hmm. and it's it's been one of the most most valuable um experiences of my music career so okay. far you know you can practice music in your house all day long but until you get in front of somebody else like that's where the real right learning comes from because you're aware and you're 100 on and you know like i've got to do well they're going to catch it you know and i've got to make an impression so i can be invited back especially when you're doing like covers and things that mm-hmm. people are going to know they want to recognize it they yeah. want to appreciate the songs that they like uh-huh. i've talked to musicians maybe not on the show but uh, just in conversation some who really love that dinner time background music sort mm-hmm. of scenario and some who it really bothers them you know that maybe people are not really paying attention right. or that people are paying half attention i think it depends on the personality you know, um, of the musician. Yeah. Had, what What's yours? Like, like, what do you feel about that? I'm okay with both because, you know, I'm, I'm doing what I love and I'm getting paid for it. And like, there's really just, you know, not many things in life that are great for, you know, more, more amazing than that. So it's doing something that I'm going to be doing anyway. Okay. Um, I love that. I love connecting with the audience. Um, so those are some of my most enjoyable times is whenever, you know, there are people in the audience who are genuinely listening and they're engaged and you know they're recognizing you and that's amazing but sometimes you know like especially with my health concern or my health problems that I've had um, sometimes I'm not feeling that great and right. I'm just like I'm just okay if they want to just eat and I'm just gonna play and we're gonna have you know it's gonna be cool well and then sometimes <laughs> people at restaurants love it when there's live music and mm-hmm. sometimes they don't it's, you know it's weird. and it depends on who they are too and, yeah you, you don't want to be real close to somebody who's just like, I wish she would stop playing so we can have a conversation because you're not going to have a connection with those right. people either. So oh, it's, yeah. it's hard like on, on every level. And I there. try to, you know, I try to talk to people who are, you know, just like sit down right by the stage and I'm just like, okay, it's going to be really loud here. So if you guys are cool with that, you know, but y'all feel, I won't, you won't hurt my feelings if you go move somewhere else, you know, cause I don't want to, you know, I don't want to bombard on yeah. their conversations and I don't expect them to, you know, give me their full attention. So what are some of the places that you play regularly that um, you know that maybe you've built a relationship with and you kind of have an ongoing? Well, the Moon Doggies um, owners and Andrea, um, I'm pretty close to them. They've been really good to me. Um, they also owned um, Off the Hook, okay, but they had to close down right. in September. Um, but they do have two Moon Doggies locations: one on Polk Street and another one at the Netplex on 58th and Hillside. So I'm there regularly. They're great supporters of music. They have it every Friday night at both of their locations. Amarillo Club's been really good. Okay. Um, I've had some bookings there. Um, I really love their clients. Um, I mean, that's a great environment yeah. to play because it's just a little bit different. You know, when the people go there, I think a lot of times they expect to have like some nice music playing. Yeah, and- yeah. no, it's good over there. Um, Crush, I played at Crush all summer long on their... Um, Rooftop patio. Right, yeah. And it was great. Uh, we talked about doing some music for the winter months, but we'll see. Um, I played at Napoli's on their patio all summer long. Um, Polk Street Eats, uh, Copper Fire, Metropolitan, um, Joe Taco, um, in Amarillo and in Canyon. And then Creek Honey House. I don't know if – have you heard of yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, out, out in Canyon. Yeah. Um, that's one of – I love going there to shop for – they um, they have, like, natural body products. Right. I use their face wash and their deodorant. It's all, like, free of carcinogens mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So 
Um, I love going out there. Just is it just to play like for people who are shopping there, or do they have events? They or have something um, that... they have like a patio. Okay, and so I just play music. I played on their opening, and then they have people. They have it's a like it's a winery, mm-hmm. so they have like cheese and wine. Okay. And, so, and then I'll have like a food truck come out. So yeah, it's fun. And then I'll be at Pondicetta, um, on the 29th. Okay. So coming out yeah. this month. Mm-hmm. But that's be my first time there. Do you feel like for a long time, you know, finding good musicians in Amarillo was a matter of, you know, waiting for people to stop on their way through here and play at a bar or something like that. Do you feel like the scene in Amarillo for local musicians, um, is starting to to kind of improve, and that there are more places or more venues, or is oh, it getting better over the past few years? It was better. It was better, and then it just dropped off. Really? It, yeah, just like very recently, I had four gigs last month, um, and then I had three public events this month or in December. It's December, and I've got two in January. Why do you think that is? Um, several of my venues went from having, you know, music three days a week or two days a week to having it once a week. Okay. Like that happened with, you know, is that like a seasonal thing or is that just something that, um, it's because of business Okay. in the area. Um, I think people need to, you know, consider supporting more local restaurants than, you know, the I 40 chains because there's been multiple closures over the summer. So I lost some of my venues uh, due to that. And like Cheddar's is not asking you to come no, play. No, <laughs> <for their. laughs> no, no. But you know, and and that's you know that's kind of why I decided I need I need to pursue the um, bookkeeping, okay, um, just to keep you know financially stable throughout the season because it'll pop back up you know in the summertime um you know some of them quit doing music just in the winter right because it's a patio right because it's a patio so you know some of those will come back up in the summertime so it's definitely seasonal it's just it dropped is it hard doing some of those summer shows when you are playing outdoors and the weather can be so unpredictable i mean is that something you just go into it knowing it might yeah but the ones you know, if they don't pay me the full amount, sometimes like you don't get paid the full amount if they have to cut it. Right, right. But they're really good about rebooking. So that's nice, um, especially when you're depending on the money to pay for, for your bills and stuff. But the weather, I mean, I don't know. It was it was a pretty nice summer. I mean, it's okay. it was I played on a day that it was like 105. I had two gigs that day. And I slept the whole next day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You had a, <laughs> so you have a recovery drink, day. You drink a lot of water and you take care of your body. Okay. So. You have mentioned um, a period of time in which you were, uh, at the words I think you said were that you were kind of lost. Yes. Um, and I know that that's um, a, a fairly big part of your story. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm curious if you wanted to talk about that. Yeah, we can talk about that. I, uh, I guess have been through a lot of trauma um, throughout my life, a lot of toxic situations, dealt with a lot of loss and sudden changes. And I am a survivor of domestic abuse and sexual assault and um, an addiction. Okay. So... Are those things, do you think, related to each other? Did one lead to the next? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It all. I think it all starts with the trauma. Tell me about the addiction side of it and sort of, you know, how you, how you fell into that. Did it start 
in Borger or was yeah, it? Yeah, oh yeah, in Borger. Okay. So we look at small towns as being like a safe place, raise your no, family there. No, no, you know. no, no. It was a very prevalent. I um, started drinking when I was in the eighth grade, got into my dad's stash. Then I think I started doing meth my my freshman year. Okay. Um, then eventually cocaine and then ecstasy was a pretty frequent thing that I did, which was really bad on my brain. And you know, sometimes like hydrocodone opiates and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, I think I took an Oxycontin one weekend and was just like asleep 24 hours. Um, so yeah, that was, that was a thing for all of my high school and about the, you know, first year I was out of high school. Was it common enough that like you weren't alone in a lot of that. I mean, were were you sort of an anomaly, or were the you like in a group time, where that's the, where? Oh yeah, I was in a group, and the first time I did meth was at lunch at school, hmm. and a lot of the drugs happened. They were at the school, so yeah. So it wasn't hard to to come by, I no. guess, in a small town. No, it was there. How did you begin to realize that you were in too deep? You know, I guess for some people there's a gateway, and and you had to pass through that gateway and just go to the harder stuff. Did you ever think about what you were doing in the process, or did you just kind of find yourself in a place and think, oh, no, I'm I'm too far gone? No, I just was doing it. I don't know. I just, I I didn't feel like I felt like I belong anywhere. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like, you know, in my family, I didn't feel connections with family members. Um, I felt really alone, and I think the drugs made me feel like I was a part of something. Okay. Uh, maybe. Did it impact your school, your education? Oh, yeah. But my mom was a teacher, so she made sure I graduated. And um, I wanted to go to Champs, which which was an alternative school. I just begged my parents, like, please let me go. I can't do this regular school thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I was high in the morning. I was high at lunch. I was high after school. You know, just any time I could get away, I was self-medicating all of the time. Um, but she wouldn't let me go to champs and, um, I actually graduated a semester early. I had enough credits, so I got out of there with like the minimum requirements. And then I started going to college and then I quit college cause I got that job at Dillard's okay. for eight fifty an hour. Cause you know, so you, you were <laughs> addicted, but were you like still pretty functional? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I mean, cause my, my parents, you know, they cared and they watched me and stuff so I was, had to be very very sneaky did I mean did they know did they find out oh yeah there were situations like um there were all kinds of situations um I got drunk at school one time and they had to carry me out of the school and that was my freshman year hmm. and there yeah there were some other things that happened and they knew and I tried to do better and then I'd, I'd do better for a little bit and then I'd mess up again so how did you get out of that cycle um Whenever I met my daughter's father, he was heavy, heavy addict, and I just wanted to save him. <laughs> yeah. And I pulled it together for myself for a full month, and then I found out I was pregnant. Hmm. So I was clean even before conception, and I found out I was pregnant, and I was like, that solidified the hard drug era. Okay. So I got out of it then. However, I got like really big into religion and stuff, and then that situation didn't work out with her dad and there was some domestic violence and I had to get away and that's when I moved to New Orleans. Okay. So part of that was was almost an escape 
too, to, to at least get yourself out of mm-hmm. whether it was a bad relationship right. or even an environment where you had friends who did right. drugs with you. Oh, I mean, yeah. sometimes just getting out of that environment. Yeah. I was that, and I was actually completely clean for, I think, a year and a half until I went to the doctor. And I told him, I said, I have, you know, a history of addiction, you know, and just don't give me anything narcotic. Mm-hmm. And I was having migraines. I couldn't sleep because I had all this trauma and all this anxiety and, you know, all these symptoms and stuff because I wasn't healthy. And he prescribed me Xanax and Furanol, which has codeine in it, hmm. and sleeping pill. And then he was giving me hydrocodons for pain. And you you knew it that he was giving you that stuff? I he didn't knew it. realize that the – and then he gave me an antidepressant. I didn't realize that the, I would have withdrawals from antidepressants. I didn't hmm. realize that the Xanax was going to be something like that physically. I mean, I said, don't give me anything addictive. Right. And so we didn't really use the Google back then. Um, so, I, no, I didn't know. So did that cycle you then back into addiction? Right back into yeah. it for like 10 more years. Okay. And um, so I eventually got on Xanax full-time and Adderall. Hmm. And so I was taking Adderall is like basically methamphetamine. Right. <laughs> and so I did that in the morning and Xanax at night. And so I just started drinking again and drinking every single night. And that was just kind of my chemically driven life. Until until when? Like Until I got so sick that I couldn't take anything anymore. When I was 29, um, every time I smoked a cigarette, I didn't smoke that much. I smoked like maybe one or two a day. Mm-hmm. Um I would just start to throw up. It would wow. just gag me. And so I quit cigarettes. Um, and then six months later, I quit drinking. And then nine months later, I quit the Adderall. And then six months later, I got off Xanax. Okay. So how long have you been like clean and sober? Well, Xanax was two, two years and four months ago. Alcohol is like three and a half years ago. Tell me... About that process, um, I mean, you describe it as I, I quit Xanax or mm-hmm. I quit drinking. But for someone who had been an addict, you mm-hmm. know, for at least a decade, I mm-hmm. mean, it's it's not as easy as just saying, I'm going to quit this, is it? No. I was so sick that I was using these things and they were making me ill, like physically ill. Right. I couldn't function. I was so sick from um, all the stress. My daughter um, is an asthmatic. And... She was in the hospital like at least once or twice a year, um, sometimes the ICU on a machine to breathe because of her symptoms. And um, we finally got that cleared up. It was right after I quit drinking. Um, I, t- I had to take her to the hospital, and I was like, whatever y'all are doing, it's not working. I need a different doctor mm-hmm. do something different. And they sent us uh, Ralph Habersong. Yeah. And uh, he found out that she had a dairy allergy, so we cut that out. And she hadn't been back to the hospital since. Wow. Yeah. So I was constantly losing jobs and then being stressed out, being broke, you know, and just like this continuous cycle of like, you know, trauma and yeah. violent relationships and sexual assault and just. All so how, how do you get out of that cycle? Like it feels to me, I, I, I don't want to speak like I know, but like once you're in it, you're in it. Mm-hmm. And it, it takes almost something outside that cycle to like, pull you out. I mean, what was, what was that thing beyond just like being intentional? I'm going to be real strong and get out of this thing. I mean, I rediscovered my connection with spirit. Okay. I had really fallen away from that. Um, even claimed to be an atheist Mm -hmm. for, you know, maybe 
nine, eight, nine years or something, just because of all the pain that I went through with religion and people of religion. I had to find a different way than through like the... It may be a traditional religious... Right, yes. So I'm very, you know, very spiritual and kind of out there a little bit, but I, you know, I still believe in the Bible and the Christian God and Jesus and all that stuff. But my practices are little different. I do a lot of meditation and kundalini mm-hmm. yoga, um, Reiki, um, energy healing. Um, but I also see an, um, a holistic nutritionist, Jennifer Landrum of mm-hmm. Enlightened Health. Um, she's also my kundalini yoga instructor. She works with addicts um, and she works with anybody. I mean, but she does have like a little, some history in that. I, I started having after I got off the Xanax, uh, my body just like tensed up, just muscles spazzed yeah. everywhere because it's just it was something that was managing my stress, and so my stress hormone just went haywire. So I went to get a massage, um, and I went to Creekstone Integrated Care, and they had like thirty nine dollar massages at the time. That's a good price. It is. And they're they're like 45 now. So um, I was seeing Julia Moore and I was going in there ever so like, you know, maybe once or twice a month. And she was like, do you clench your jaw? And she was rubbing my jaws. And I was like, no, I don't think so. And then I came back and I was like, I do that. And she, um, we talked about it and she's like, I used to do that too. And I was like, well, what'd you do about it? She's like, I went to counseling. Hmm. I was like, what? <laughs> so I, that was on my mind, and I was doing some meditations to try to relieve that. Um, and then I started seeing Aaron Sessions for um, at Creekstone for acupuncture, and she let me know that I had, like, food allergies because of, you know, I was just, like, constantly – or she didn't let me know. She said I had allergies. I didn't know it was food allergies. She introduced me to Chinese medicine, herbs. And then I started seeing uh, Rayanne Mask, who also works at uh, Creekstone, and she started doing some of the Reiki on me. And then she's the one that recommended Jennifer. And so I went to Jennifer Landrum. And she's like, oh, yeah, you got food allergies. So you need to quit eating this, you know, soy, dairy, gluten, uh, corn, and eggs, and all this different stuff. And I quit eating it, and all of these symptoms went away. And I'm like, man, I've been covering that up with, like, alcohol for yeah. years. So um, once I started working on my body and my health, I started to realize that, the cause of why I needed to self-medicate, why my, you know, I was like constantly just like raw all mm-hmm. the time. It was starting to go away. And what's so interesting is that it's not just like one thing Mm-mm. and it's not just like a physical thing. It's Mm-mm. there's a physical component. There's a spiritual component. There's a mental, you know, yes. cognitive health component. Yes. And an emotional and an emotional. And, that, and yeah. that's the basis in which Jennifer teaches on. And you got to, you got to work on the spiritual, mental, emotional and physical and you can't just do one or the other it's all of it has to be in balance so we do counseling we do energetic work i have a specific diet we use herbs and um, homeopathics Mm -hmm. it's it's been i've been seeing her for almost two years and then we also do the the yoga which i think is a huge part of just the overall feeling of it so yeah and so uh, one thing that um that i find interesting is that Amarillo is a place that still is very conservative, um, religiously, politically, you know, you, and you had been in New Orleans, which, you know, people in Amarillo think of as being this, this weird woo woo kind of place, Mm -hmm. you know, but it was here in Amarillo that you found some of these, you know, maybe 
a little bit more on the mystical side or maybe mm-hmm. Eastern medicine, yeah. you know, non-traditional. Right. And that's where you began to find healing. Is, is mm-hmm. that something that is surprising to you or is that a bigger I community was, here than maybe we understand? I, it's a growing community because I actually started finding out about some of the things um, like right after I quit drinking and I did a, a Reiki treatment on myself and I had a stomach ulcer mm-hmm. for like 10 years. I was taking medication for, and I did this one meditation, and I have not had a pain in that area since then, and that was like over three years ago. Wow! And it was just it was as simple as that. So that really turned my mind on to my body's more powerful than what I've been led to believe. Okay, I've just got to take it in my own hands and make the changes. I know that a lot of addicts, even having gone through some of the steps that you've gone through and, and a lot of the recovery, like they're still always on this really thin line. Like mm-hmm. you're always an addict. You're always maybe close, you know, whether it's a doctor prescribing something with codeine in it. Do, do you feel like uh, you're living in that day-to-day sort of thing? Do you feel like most of that is behind you? I mean, how do you approach just just life as someone I, trying not to fall back into those habits? I work around alcohol all the time and I have absolutely zero desire to drink. I mean, there's free drinks being offered to me pretty yeah, regularly. Yeah, a musician. I'm like, no, I'm good. And I just, I, like, I honestly feel that way. Of course, my boyfriend's sober too, so that helps a lot. I okay. I mean, that would be definitely a prerequisite um, because if I was in a relationship with someone who drank, I don't know if I'd be that strong. But, you know, a lot of being a um, person who's prone to addiction is you have to learn to create boundaries and control your environment, you know. Um, as much as you can anyway, you know, don't, I'm not going to go like hang out at a crack house. I never, I mean, I never smoked crack, but, (laughs) uh, you know what I mean? Is having experienced Amarillo on, you know, the, the previous side where you arrived here and and you dealt with those addictions Mm -hmm. and now you're on the other side of that. Does it feel like a different city? I mean, are are you in like different communities now? Totally. Yes. I love, love, love it. Um, I used to be so depressed here. Like, oh, this is just a sentence. I got to wait till my daughter gets out of school and then I can get my life together. And then, you know, because I was constantly in this state of got to provide for my daughter. She's sick and Mm -hmm. I can't take care of myself. And and a few years ago, my grandmother, um, she told me, she's like, Hillary, just stop looking for a job and take care of yourself because she saw how absolutely torn apart I was and how, you know, it was so hard to find a job after you've lost so many jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did, and I, and I made the absolute 100% best use of that time that, you know, I could rest and right. I could heal my body and I could focus on, like, me finally for once in my life. What has the, um, I guess, the experience that you've gone through kind of taught you about the people of Amarillo, the community of, of friends and colleagues and stuff that you found here? I mean, have they been a big part of, of sort of that journey? You know, I know I've been, I've tried to put myself out there as much as possible. I've loved getting into like the art communities. Mm-hmm. I love playing for um, the community market and meeting those vendors out there. And mm-hmm. then I was also playing at um, Sunset Center before that whole thing right. happened. And, you know, getting to know people out there and then in the yoga community and in the holistic field, um, you know, I'm trying to do as much as I can because I feel like these are, you know, the people that I want in my life. And I just, I think that there's so much diversity here, even though it might not seem like it, it's, you know, people are evolving and, um, they want to create community and, and, and create some change in, in the community also. Do you feel like you're here for 
longer? That it, it's not just a time that you're here until your daughter's done and you can go someplace else? I mean, do you feel a little bit more planted here? I, I'm about to buy a house. Okay. Well, that's, so. that's a good planting then. That's- <laughs> yeah. And I, I like it here. I like raising my daughter here. I would like to travel. Um, but I think that basing myself here is good. My house is going to be really affordable in a good neighborhood. And I'd like to kind of travel like Dallas, Austin, maybe Houston route mm-hmm. and like maybe the Oklahoma City, Tulsa route and then like the Colorado City or um, Colorado, Colorado Springs. Springs and Denver mm-hmm. and then like over maybe Santa Fe, Albuquerque, maybe Arizona. So it does give you a good like centralized it, base it really does. for doing some touring. It really does. Or, and yeah. so I think that's probably where I'll start. You know, I've, I've got um, contacts and Santa Fe, and I'm going to try to work a weekend out there. It's just got to be lucrative with the travel and expenses and stuff. And the same thing in Dallas. And then I'm just, you know, it's just something I'm going to work on and try to get, you know, some little home bases out there. This episode of Hey Amarillo Podcast is sponsored by Dr. Eddie Sauer, a longtime Amarillo dentist at Shimon Dental Group. Eddie has been my personal dentist for at least 25 years. He's an expert on Invisalign and uses that technology to improve his patient's smiles and positioning. And those patients include one of my kids, Owen. In fact, Dr. Sauer does this so well, he now travels all over the country and even internationally to teach other dentists how to use Invisalign. So to learn more, visit shimondental.com. That's S-H-E-M-E-N, Shimon. Okay, I'm back with Hillary Marie. Hillary, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. Um, as my guest, I'm going to ask you eight straight questions. Your job is to answer those in as much detail as you want to. Um, and I'll, I'll start with uh, some questions that I ask of, of almost every guest. Uh, the first one is, what's the most underrated aspect of life in Amarillo? Um, definitely has to be the arts and music. Okay. Obviously, I'm going to promote that as much as I can. I feel like we have a really big arts and music scene here in Amarillo, and I feel like it can be even bigger if people can come out and support those things. Um, like if people aren't showing up to the gigs, then the gigs aren't going to exist. And right. that has a lot to do with why there's been such a decline in opportunities for gigging for me. Um, it's just a lot of places just, they can't afford it, you know, if it's not being supported. Okay. So, um, but you know, yellow city arts, they've got some really cool things going on. Go check out their Facebook page or their website. Um, they're great at promoting artists and bringing things to Amarillo. What's your favorite Amarillo restaurant? Um, okay. So I have food allergies right? <laughs> and so it's really hard for me to, um, go out to eat, but I think the Indian oven mm-hmm. has, um, the most, um, allergen friendly menu okay. in Amarillo. So I can actually go there and order multiple things. Is that because just of the Indian culinary traditions? I mean, the, the, the stuff that they use is not the stuff that you're allergic to, or is there something else about that? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's part of it. I mean, it's Eastern and a lot mm-hmm. of my, the medicine that I follow is from that region. Okay. So I think that has their, I think they're more health conscious, maybe a little bit. What does this area have too much of? Chain restaurants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got so many of those. Uh, yeah. It's, it's not that hard to find 
locally owned restaurants. You mm-hmm. just, if you're only on I-40, you're going to see the chain restaurants. If you drive yeah. half a mile in either direction, and, you'll find other stuff. Right. And so for people who are from out of town, you know, unless they're following the right Facebook pages or, right. you know, things like that, they're not going to know about them. So, you know, I think it's important that we promote um, local as much as we can, just so as many people can see those advertisements as possible because these local places don't have the funds to spend in advertising like, you know, Olive Garden does. Sure. So, um, and that's, that's always strange to me. I mean, I know people like what they like and that's, that's fine, but it, it is always strange when, you know, locally somebody's like, I'm going to go to Olive Garden. I'm just like, no, let, let the I 40 people go to Olive Garden. <laughs> and I'm sorry. There's other like places. I, Olive Garden. I used to love Olive well, Garden. The, the breadsticks and the salads are great. You yeah. Know? There's yeah. a reason people love it. But then but. I discovered like Pescara's and right. Napoli's and I'm like, what was I doing? You know, <laughs> what does this area not have enough of? We don't have enough healthy restaurants. Okay. We <laughs> need more Indian I'm, ovens. I'm, I'm very passionate about this. Um, I have actually gone, um, me and my daughter, we went traveling to, um, Santa Fe and Denver and Austin this year, specifically, so we could go out to eat. Okay, <laughs> I mean, like we a, saw a food tour. Pretty much. I mean, we saw Billie Eilish too, and okay. and um, and the Goo Goo Dolls and Train. But you know, was, we went out for music and and restaurants. But you know, they're prevalent in these types of places because these people are more health conscious. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot more recycling and. Um, local things and 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 people caring about what's in the food. And I think one element of the culture sort of drives some of those other elements. Mm-hmm. As you get more health consciousness, you get better restaurants, you get more emphasis on sustainability and mm-hmm. those things. And, and it just takes like the dominoes to, to start right. rolling. Yeah. And I'm just kind of patiently waiting, but I'm also being as vocal about it as I possibly yeah. can, because um, I think there's a lot of people who out here who you know, think about opening restaurants or, you know, will this survive and things like that. And I've actually got a friend, uh, Monty Smith, who has her own, um, she had some health problems and she changed her diet for it. And then she just made a business out of it. And hmm. so it's, it's called 80-20 meal preps. Yeah. Okay. Heard of that. Okay. And they're seven fifty each and it's free delivery. you got to buy a minimum of four. Um, she's going to start selling um, beer and wine in January. That's, you know, goes with the the anti-inflammatory diet too. Oh, okay. um, and it's like no... And then gr- maybe pairs it with some of the meals and stuff? That uh, I'm not sure. Does. I mean, it's just she just wants to make, you know, beer and wine available for people who have dietary restrictions. Okay. Um, just, you know, because she's, you know... She's cool like that. <laughs> so it's just no grains, no soy, no nuts, uh, no corn, rice, no gluten. Um, and they're really good. Wow, so, good. Yeah. How do you describe Amarillo to people outside this area? That basically it's just like the only big city surrounding a bunch of small towns. Yeah. And it's just a bunch of small town people that have kind of moved in here. And, you know, it's pretty small town, but big. <laughs> <laughs> is is that is that a positive description in your mind? I think, you know, after living in New Orleans, it, yeah, because, okay. you know, we were in a shooting and we had wow. to like get down in our car, me and my daughter. Really? Yeah, it was kind of scary. So um, we don't have that here, at least, you know, inside of town that I live in. So it, I like like, okay, so all of my neighbors own guns and, you know, retired military and stuff. And it's just, it's really comforting. <laughs> Okay. So, you know, I might not get that in California. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> when was the last time you went to Cadillac Ranch? I've never been to Cadillac never, Ranch. Never. Never. It's at all. 
kind of on like my mental bucket list, but I haven't followed through with it yet. Yeah, it's real easy um, to mark off that bucket list. You know, just, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. And a lot of it I think is like, I've literally been so broke most of my life to just like, you know, buy some spray paint. I don't, it's what like 98, how much is it? It's I, pretty, I really don't know. I don't know. I, I'll give you a tip though. Any time of day you can go there and probably find a can that's not used up. That's, so even if you don't have your own spray paint, there's probably a pile there okay. and you can find some that works. So. But yesterday I did go to Bob Lyle's art gallery. Oh, yeah. And um, He's about as iconic as Cadillac Ranch. And so. Yeah, I mean, that's like same thing, right? Yeah, it's exactly. all the paint chips. Yep. So. What are your top three favorite Amarillo venues to perform? Um, I really love performing at the um, Amarillo Community Market or I loved at um, um, Sunset Center, just anywhere mm-hmm. I can get around the artist community. I okay. love because they're just so respectful um, towards the music. and Even um, at the community market where there's a lot of stuff happening, yes. you know, you, you still feel like you're connecting with, yes. with people. And there. even if they're just walking by, like mm-hmm. they're just, they're so nice. Um, and then I've been playing at Barnes Jewelry for their first Friday art oh, yeah. walk. Um, I started that. Um, I love playing over there because it's around the artists. And then probably um, the Crush Rooftop. Okay. Because it's, it's just... It's a cool venue. It's really nice. Right. Yeah. Okay. And and one more question. This is one that I like to ask to see if you'll align yourself with a particular camp in Amarillo. Uh, Pack-a-sack or Tootin' Totem? Okay. I really just get gas when I need to get gas. So mm-hmm. like whoever's there is who's going to get my business. Okay, so you're not like a convenience store person. You don't have a I favorite. I don't go anything. to convenience. I try to avoid them at, all right. at all. You're not going to find a lot of things dietarily speaking that are no. Meet and then needs like you at, smell like fried stuff. Yeah. No. Okay. All right. Well, that concludes the eight straight questions, Hillary. I like to close by asking my guest to endorse something. So, what's one thing that you would want listeners to know about or to experience? And I know you've mentioned a bunch of the things that like have been meaningful yeah, to you, like, but like, is is there is there something else that that you want to make sure people know about? No, just that there's music going around all the time, just everywhere, and and it depends on the community for it to exist. And you can find it at Labella's, Metropolitan, um, Joe Taco, Amarillo Club, Copper Fire, Polk Street Eats, Crush, Moondoggies, Napoli's. Um, there are musicians out here who are funding their entire lives doing what they love, mm-hmm. playing music. And um, we just really love it when you guys come out and you engage and you talk to us and you let us, you know, serve you and and sing for you. And because um, that's really just what we love to do what as a performer what do you want from someone who's engaging with you does it mean something for someone to just stop for a moment and listen or do you want them to sing along with a song that they know do you want them to come and leave you a tip like 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 what are you looking for just any any type of engagement any i mean i've played at restaurants where people not look at you like yeah, like they're there. trying to avoid eye right. contact. Right, and then, then they might look at you, and then you look over, and then they look away because they feel awkward about it. Don't feel awkward about it. Like we love engaging with you guys. Um, it's and it's you understand, like you understand what people who maybe are feeling awkward, uh-huh. like like that. There's all kinds of people, and everybody kind of has their own response to that sort of stuff. Right. Yeah. No. I mean, it's, you don't even have to compliment. Just acknowledge us and um, and support us and support the restaurants and the other venues who support us, right. even if we're not playing and you're like, Oh, we got to go eat somewhere. Well, let's go eat here because they do have live, have music, live music and we want to give them our business because they're supporting local and you want to keep your money local because that's how our, that's how our um, economic system flourishes. Okay. 
Hillary Marie, thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And that concludes the show. First, thanks to Hillary for being on the show and for talking about some hard things with me. I really do appreciate that. Thanks also to the sponsors, Bivens Point and Dr. Eddie Sauer for supporting this episode. And like every episode, this episode of Hamarello was edited by Angelina Marie. And of course, I'm thankful for my executive producers, Katie Linger, Neil Nossiman, Ryan Pennington, Daniel Davis, Corey Burns, Jennifer Callahan, Chriselda, Josh Wood, Patrick Burns, Wes Reeves, Wilson Lemieux, and Jason Burr. All of these folks support the show through patreon.com slash And you can do it too if you want to help me continue making Hey Amarillo week after week. This has been episode 119. Thank you for listening. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>